Audio conversation recorded Friday, January 14th, 2010. It, this is much less an interview and much more of a conversation with Kim Carlsberg. Now, Kim uh, was one of the first generation of UFO contactees that really came forward in a bold sort of way. This took place in the um, early 1990s, and she eventually wrote a book called Beyond My Wildest Dreams. That was published in 1995. After that point, she kind of dropped out of the scene uh, quite purposefully. Uh, she talks about it a little bit in the in the interview. But that book uh, was illustrated by Daryl Anka. Now, for any of those uh, you know with even one toe in the funny world of New Age grooviness, you will know that Daryl Anka is the channel for the entity known as Bashar. Uh, this is something that, that we dig into pretty deep in the... Even early on in the in the conversation, the channeling issues are something that come up over and over and over again in the uh, folks that claim the contactee experience. But channeling almost never gets discussed in among the uh, the, the research community and in the printed literature, which is troubling to me because it seems to be very much a part of the phenomena and a very curious part. Uh, we do our best to look deeply into this. And, and I was very surprised that she had as much experience and insight and knowledge of channeling and what it may mean to the larger phenomena. During our conversation, Kim said something that impressed me greatly. She said, when you are opened up, you are opened up to everything. And that sums it all up pretty tidy. Uh, in recent years, in the last couple of years, she has been compiling a set of illustrations by contactees along with their narratives and she has just published what um, is a uh, great big coffee table book with those illustrations featured as well as the accompanying narrative. Let me add that I am very pleased with this conversation. It uh, runs all over the map. Uh, no linear logic to our, our conversation here, and I am very happy with that. I think that makes it much more engaging. It does not in any way, shape, or form sound like a formal interview. And uh, that's good. Uh, we jump right into it. Um, and I don't know if it's going to serve anyone by me uh, trying to introduce Kim any more than uh, I have already have. So let's just dive right in. Please enjoy. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. And uh, I'm we're, oh, the Skype fairies have aligned the stars for us. Uh, so <laughs> our little our little uh, voices are exactly the same on the on the two little input and output volume things. So oh, very good. Yes, yeah, so. that is. It's so irritating when you're listening to an interview, and one person comes on, and you have to immediately turn down the volume, and then turn it back up, and turn it back down, and turn it back up. And would that one person be Joe Montaldo? Uh, <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to name names, okay, I just, but <laughs> I just—I I'm, I'm, have a personal mission here to um, uh, improve the sound quality on on podcasting and audio interviews. It just seems like I have a, a computer here on my desk that you know, like, ain't that complicated, and I get really, really good sound quality out of it. So, um, hey, I think yesterday was our intro, mm-hmm. as far as like I, I said everything I needed to say. So, um, and you got yeah. to listen to a little bit of me and Leo. Uh, yes, I got to listen to a lot of it actually. Good. Did you hear him channel at the end? I did. Yeah, isn't that yeah? Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it was interesting. It makes it makes me miss channeling so much. So I might be inspired to uh, start channeling again. Oh, far out. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's this is, gets very strange uh, because uh, uh, I have a friend 
that is sort of my personal channel. I don't want to say personal, but I mean, you know, whatever. I actually, sometimes I pay her to channel yeah. for me. And, uh, but she's like, I have one a per, a contact that I trust and she's, she's profound and she's tapped into something higher than we are. I mm-hmm. don't know quite how to define it. She says it's aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even she's not sure. She basically says they say they're aliens. I don't know, but her name right. is Anya. And then, Starting in about the mid-90s, I started reading channeled books, and I think I counted 27 of them on my bookshelf. Wow. I didn't know that there were even seven out there, much less 27. Yeah, there's a lot of of them out there. Some of them are better than others, but... Are these channeled books or books on channeling? I have a couple books on channeling, but I have two (laughs) books on channeling, but those don't count. Um, So I channeled books, you know, from Mm -hmm. Donald Walsh and the Seth books, and there's a series of books. The Seth books, The Nature of Personal Reality is my Bible. Oh, really? There's a series? Oh, what a beautiful book. Yeah, I went through a really dark period of depression, and as silly as it sounds, uh, therapy and Prozac, and and, uh, the only thing that really clinched it and really brought me out of it was uh, Neil Donald Walsh's uh, three books, um, Conversations with God. Yeah, Conversations with God, which I actually had as a book on tape where it was performed right. with uh, with Ed Asner and, um, oh, I can't think of the woman's name now. Uh, this is Mike chiming in. The woman's name is Ellen Burstyn, the uh, mother from the movie The Exorcist. Uh, the first three books in the series are amazing. And I will also, um, this is just my editorializing, I think that I got a lot more out of the audio books than I did out of the written work. There you go. Now back to the interview. So anyway, it was very beautiful, and uh, I felt just more important than therapy, it rewired my the way I looked at reality. And I, and mm-hmm. I came away with a much nicer, uh, whatever. He paints a very simple, optimistic, pleasant view of reality. So It's been too many years since I read those books, but I know that I, know I read them. They're in my back files. Um, the synchronicity, uh, when, I, when I went to self-publish, I actually already had a publisher for um, The Art of Close Encounters. Now, how do I get rid of that sound? <laughs> I, my dog is barking to get in, and I'm not going to let her in during, during the interview. Oh, and so my, cats may, my cats may walk across <laughs> the, uh, the keyboards while we're doing this, and sometimes you hear these little beeping sounds and stuff like that. So, <laughs> Yeah, so um, where were we? Where were we? we can, um, I usually start the interview by saying... Uh, uh, thank you, Kim, so much for saying yes to this interview. Thank you so much for inviting me. Good, good. Now we're rolling. We're, we're right. officially rolling here. Um, I may use some of the little uh, chatter we just used. I thought some of that was nice. It, we, we sound like humans instead of mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, actors or something. <laughs> Absolutely use it. Hey, um, the uh, creative process. Uh, you are a photographer... And putting together this book, was that, was, was that, I mean, was that a creative process for you? Absolutely. Good. So it wasn't just like a, you know, like cut and paste and you were just sort of, uh, you know, assembling something, um, like there, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of labor, um, cutting and pasting and, uh, you know, working with the text and working with the layouts and that type of thing. But overall, it was very creative. I, I was, um, you know, I did everything. I did the cover and I did the layout of the book and I worked on every single image 
um, to optimize the images for the book. So I was in Photoshop every day. Um, I had uh, probably 20 people that sent me stories that had no art. So I got involved in trying to represent their stories through my art, which is basically cutting and pasting my photographs together because I am a photographer, not an illustrator. So I got into uh, Photoshop in a way that I had never used it before as an illustration tool instead of something to just manipulate my photographs. So I learned a lot. and It was very exciting, and the images came out really well, and it was fun. Yeah, the creative process, I think, is... is um... I don't know, integral to this. I made up a little questionnaire, a little personal questionnaire, and that was one of the things that I asked um, just, uh, you know, to people who claim, uh, whether it's this experience or paranormal experience, is are you a creative type? It's statistically extremely high, the people who claim this phenomena. Either they're artists or musicians or writers. So that is a, a statistical oddity, I think. Really? I didn't know that. Um, but I could see how that could be possible. And that may just be a statistical oddity in this very small pool of people I've tapped into, but um, but I found it, 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 I have seen it as a pattern. Well, you know, my best friend, Daryl Anka, is a channel and uh, has had contact, and he is one of the most creative people I have ever known. So uh, the, it, I believe that you just get opened up to a lot of different things and creative energies and other energies and other dimensions and other abilities. Once that, once ET has touched your brain or your consciousness or both, um, something definitely ignites and opens up. So that yeah. makes sense. And and I, you know, it's like I, it's I, it's hard for me to like go down that road and and sort of speculate because there's so many avenues. You know, like well, or did like we sign a soul contract like in a different life before we even stepped into this reality and and. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it are are people who are already creative more susceptible or more um i don't want to say targeted well that's as good a word as any targeted <laughs> that's um, a good word yeah targeted by you know whoever the entities are that yeah. are that are interacting with us yeah so that gets it gets very murky but i do recognize that that uh, creative types at least in my interactions seem to outweigh the the other types i know there's certainly folks that the- uh, the left brainers. The left brainers, or yeah, mm-hmm. the left brainers versus the right brainers. So the the process of putting the book together was it? Um... It was the most difficult thing I've done so far in my life, and I've done a lot of difficult things. Uh, <laughs> gathering up and uh, 150 individual stories and communicating with 100 and well, I believe there are actually 80 contributors to the book, but it was. Just, you know, dozens and dozens of emails with each person over the little details. And it was sitting up all night at the computer with this just, I was absolutely driven to get this book done. And I haven't done any channeling in a long time. And I haven't had any ET, outward ET contact in in a long time. And it was almost as if... Um, you know, I, I wrote about stopping the abductions in my book. I, I learned how to stop them, and, and I'm glad I did. And, and that was and through I, the help of Daryl? That par- Partially, yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I stay away from uh, the phenomenon, but it is still so much a part of my life. I, I, you can't really deny it. Once, once you've been through what you and I have been through and millions of others, um, you – you're different. 
And even if you find a way to stop it, it still affects you profoundly every day of your life. So um, when the thought hit me, it was time to finish the book because I actually started my book 15 years ago um, at the publication of my first book. Um, I worked on it for a month or two, and then I, I just had to drop out of the field altogether because it, it had completely overwhelmed my life. And so when I came back this time, it was an accident, if there is such a thing as an accident, that I, w- I went on to Facebook. This is Mike chiming in again. Kim mentions Facebook and uh, the curious synchronicity. Uh, I, this is one question I did not ask her, and I want to follow up on this, and maybe I will someday. But the Facebook thing, as silly as it sounds, has been so weird in this small little realm of, of UFO researchers and people who claim the direct experience. Uh, nutty synchronicities, lots of them. Anyway, back to the interview. That I, w- I went on to Facebook and the thought hit me, now's the time to do the, do the book. And once that thought hit me, I didn't leave the computer literally for a year, a year and a half. I would work all night long until the sun came up and then I would curse the sun for it showing its face because that meant I had to get a, a little bit of sleep. <laughs> I'd sleep for a few hours and get up and do it all again. And um, so there was definitely something something driving me to get this book out as quickly as I could get it out. And was, that, d- was that internal? or and I mean, I'm leading. I'm asking a very leading question. Sure. Was that internal yeah. or were you somehow compelled by an outside source? I was compelled within. whatever within or without is um but it wouldn't leave me alone this this compulsion to get the book done so uh you know i have i'm a type a personality i get into things like that and i'll go for it until it's finished um you know but i just think that there was somehow there were forces prodding me along that uh didn't require sleep either. <laughs> oh, that's interesting because that, that was actually one of my questions here is, you know, the, the, that, that word compelled. I started my blog at the same time as another woman, and, and, and we met years ago actually at a crop circle that appeared in Idaho near my house. So anyway, and then I kept in touch with her, and she started a blog almost at the same time I started mine. And we had mm-hmm. a long back-and-forth phone conversation you know, early on when the online postings were starting and, and we actually got out the dictionary and looked up the word compelled and impelled and, and controlled and things like that. And we, and we kind of, we both agreed that the word compelled was the best word. And, and it's, um, it's very murky because it certainly could be within me, but I feel like I was compelled by an outside source, whatever that might mean to mm-hmm. start the online blog which is a very strange thing for me to admit, and I'm not sure what that really means. Well, um, I just listened to your interview with Leo Sprinkle, and uh, what a wonderful, gracious man. Oh, he's he's an amazing character, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I heard him channeling, and I haven't heard any channeling in a long time, and there's a quality to channeling when it's when it's pure that you just you know you know what you feel it 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 has a different quality than normal information being exchanged. What goes along with that is all there there's a source behind it, whether you want to call it 
you know, guides or future selves or past selves or ET or whatever it, whatever the source is, um, it's always there. It's always there for us if we choose to tap into it. Um, and I think it's there when we choose not to tap into it. And, you know, the, the guides have their job to do, and that is to help us along our paths. And if we're, we're not doing that and we don't consciously tap in through meditation or prayer or just being open because we're so um, busy, that they will, I believe, they find a way into another part of our consciousness either through dreams or inspiration or uh, obsession. Yeah, very much so. Very interesting. Uh-huh. And that's actually, this is so funny, we jumped right to the channeling thing. Let's let's just roll with this because that was on my list here to ask you about. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things I've been doing is making an effort to reach out and talk to people who claim this experience. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we talked for a long time yesterday on the telephone, you and I, uh, and I feel like I talked your ear off a little bit, but it felt important that you kind of know where I was coming from and who I was and such. But... Uh, Oh, it was fun. Yeah, it was good. And, and uh, yeah. I, um, so I've been reaching out and talking to folks, and, and it seems like there's patterns you see at the same time. It's there's a deeply personal side to all of this. Uh, one of the things that shows up is that, you know, people will say, "Oh, I had this experience," and then they'll say, and then somewhere they'll just sort of drop the bomb, and they'll say, like, "Oh, and at a certain point along the way here, I started channeling," and mm-hmm. and that comes up over and over and over again. And then I'm, I'm at a loss to know, uh. You know, two so two things. One, the mainstream UFO researchers just dismiss that. They just like say, "Oh, that's let's just not even add that to our data pool, and we're just going like, to." I yes. That. And, and I, just I have of, to tell you, I, I'm I'm sorry to step on your toes oh, there, but I have to tell you that one of my investors came to me and said, "Listen, you don't want to talk about that stuff. You just stick to your story. Stick to the nuts and bolts." Um, contact story and I told this person I said I can't do that I can't do that because that's just such a small part of the entire experience and really the most important part of the experience is the kind of stuff we're talking about and so I find myself I'm doing a lot lot of um, radio interviews now and I've got that little voice in the back of my head my investor saying don't go too far down that road or you're just going to turn off all the people that don't know about any of that stuff but isn't it my job to to share the truth how can I share the truth if I'm not sharing the entire truth? So it's been difficult for me to find a nice balance where I can tell the truth and not turn people off and yet not not hide the most valuable aspects of contact. So that's – and channeling is um, – you know, when you have contact, telepathy, ET speaks to you telepathically. And so what is the difference in channeling than telepathic communication? It's just at a distance with entities in another place or place and time. So once you've experienced regular ET contact, telepathy, that's just the, the bottom level of the, the way we can communicate with all of the other beings that we share this universe with. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm very, um, I want to say, skeptical of the channeling process to a degree. Um, you know, like if, 
you know, like if I was playing private detective and I met someone, you know, if they answered some questions and said, oh, here's some clues, mm -hmm. I would, you know, I would not necessarily say, okay, let's just close up the case and now it's all done and we can just, you know, and we can just take this to the judge and, uh, you know, the detective's job is done. It seems mm -hmm. to me much more like if the detective did an interview and someone said, you know, I heard a gunshot, I saw this person run out of the house and it looked like they threw something shiny into the bushes and then they kept running you know, I would go over to that bush and see if there was something shiny in there, you know. Uh, and mm -hmm. then it seems like what's happening is the, there's like a mainstream population of researchers. And, and maybe this is changing and maybe we're, we're like right in the midst of this changing. But um, I just feel like they wouldn't go and look in the bush. Right. They sense? would, they would walk in the opposite direction exactly. of the bush. And maybe mm -hmm. even put their hands over their ears, you know, like when, mm -hmm. when like, you know, like the little kids are like, they want to hear something, they'll go, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So. And what's so interesting about that is we're talking about one of the most unbelievable subjects in the universe as it is. Yes, okay? and someone comes along and says, here's an unbelievable part of an unbelievable thing. Yeah, what makes that any stranger than any other aspect of, of ET contact? I, I just don't see it. I don't get where that's not acceptable. And I did hear uh, when you were talking with Leo about what was acceptable at one time. And then first it was like, oh, we could talk about, yeah, we saw a light in the sky, but we couldn't talk about uh, lights on the ground. And then we could talk about lights on the ground, but we couldn't talk about contact. And you went on and on and on. Um, so, you know, hopefully that is the direction we're going in that we can talk about. The, the real aspects without, you know, having to, to soften it or cushion it or, you know, couch it in, in ways that is more palatable. Um, you know, when I wrote my book, Beyond My Wildest Dreams, talking about being implanted with an alien fetus was off the charts. So, and, and when uh, did that book come out? In 1995. Okay, My, 1995. In the literature, that was right at the time when um, Bud Hopkins' book *Intruders*, and also uh, Raymond Fowler wrote a book that that had tiny baby, missing pregnancy, uh, stolen fetus story emerged in in that story also. Yeah, I don't know what year that was, and I when I wrote my book, I I hadn't I don't remember reading Fowler's book at that time. I I had read Communion, and I had read Secret Life, and I had read Missing Time. So those were my research books, and I may have I can't think of anything else significant, um, but I was busy just living my life and trying to comprehend my day-to-day -day weirdness, high strangeness. And, um, you know, I, I had a full-time job and I had a relationship and there wasn't really a lot of time when, you, when you're working in Hollywood on a set, the days are long. And, um, I didn't get to do any of the research that I really wanted to do in the last 15 years. I haven't done a lot of research, but I just know that the bar raises. I know now everybody knows what a gray is and, uh, you know, back then it was like a, a what? So and now people talk about hybrid children um, every day. It's it's no big deal. So that you know, as the information gets out there and the bar raises, you can talk about more and more. And I hope one day that <laughs> channeling is taught in every school <laughs> because the first the first book I read that proved it to me was Seth Speaks. I said, this is, this is it. It was the first book that I read that I said, this is the truth. 
wherever this information comes from, this is the truest information I've received in my life that I can believe. I couldn't believe the Bible. I grew up in the Bible Belt. It just didn't make sense. Um, And then when I read that information, uh, it it was difficult for me at first because a friend brought me Seth Speaks, and he said, "I I don't want you to pay any attention to the way the book was written. He goes, forget the word channeling. Just look at the information. And so that's how I was able to read it. And who and by was the, the friend that brought it to you? Was it Daryl Anka? No, the, this was Neil King. He's uh, He lives in Minnesota. He was a friend of mine in California for a long time. And he moved back to, he liked the cold country. He liked the seasons. So he moved back to Minnesota. And I haven't seen him in many, many years. But uh, I will always be grateful to him for turning me on to that. And, and, and was this, this is interesting. Now, did this come before uh, your contact experiences, like being uh, being uh, introduced to the channeling literature? Uh, yeah, way before. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. Okay. Yeah. That is interesting. But, but see, now we're talking about uh, – I had my first, I have to say this, conscious experience in 1988. I, I suspect I've had contact from day one. So the fact that I was interested in things like channeling and healing early on before I had a conscious experience doesn't mean it wasn't influenced by contact that that I didn't have conscious recall of. So it's, you know, it's the what came first, the chicken or the egg, I don't know. But I when I heard the word channeling, I said, "Yes. That's possible. I know that's possible. I know that's real." Just like when I heard I, I let, left the Midwest and I got to California when, in my early 20s, I heard the, the first time I heard the word vegetarian in California, I said, yes, that's for me. And I was a vegan vegetarian for 25 years. I loved it. Um, so there are just there are things that, that, that you know are true for you the moment you hear them. And so I actually studied channeling with a woman in L.A. for many, many, many years. And this now, was this before the 1988 experience? Oh, when did I start studying? Yeah, this is so funny. I get, I get so mixed up when I try to, like, yeah. dates. Um, it, you know, I think it was at the very beginning of when I met Daryl, I was just investigating channeling. And, and I'm going to inter- interject here. Um, yes, I have heard Daryl do channeling sessions. I've mm-hmm. read some of his stuff. I've seen some online stuff. I've seen some movies uh, where he's uh, taken part in as far as channeling. Uh, he's, you know, where where Bashar. It's it's very interesting because there's there it should be separated in a way because there's two personalities: Daryl Anka, the channel, and then Bashar, the the source. Mm-hmm. Um, and true. I think that you know he's one of the really profound ones. Yes. One of the ones that just like there's something in the channeling thing. There's something almost playful about the use of language, and then mm-hmm. there's a delight that takes place, which I've which I've sensed in other channels, and I don't quite know what to make of that. You know, that's because very few people delight in the playfulness of language the way um, the the channel voice will will sometimes delight that way. And it's interesting interesting because Bashar claims to be a human gray hybrid and they would typically be telepathic and not play with language so perhaps 
the idea of working with Daryl gives him an opportunity to play with a, a skill that they don't normally get to play with, and they might find that entertaining and engaging. My experience with, with channeling, I'm, I'm looking back now, uh, I, I had actually started channeling classes before I met Daryl, and I met Daryl uh, on a channeling conference to Greece. I don't remember the year, but it's in my book somewhere. Um, but when, um, when we met, it was an instant knowing, an instant recognition, and I have so many powerful stories I wish I could just insert into you know everyone's mind who's listening or who doubts because I have my own personal proof of the reality of who Bashar is uh, apart from Daryl because Daryl is my best friend and Bashar is my other best friend and they're and they are different beings they are different entities um, and they're and they're both wonderful and giving and loving and here to help in every way they can but. I have had experiences where Bashar has stepped in and only a real live energy could do what was done in those moments. And I'll just give you one quick example or maybe two. Uh, When I was trying to get the abductions to stop, I I would do everything possible. I was doing self-hypnosis and uh, just studying everything I could to figure out how to get them to leave me alone. Um, and I, I went to Bashar once or twice. When you have a friend who's a channel, if, if you have a friend who has a skill at anything, you try not to go to that person and use them for that skill that they have because that's not what friendship is about. So um, I, I never really went to uh, Bashar for any extra help um, unless if uh, maybe twice that I can remember. And he knew that I was being abducted, and I was in my bed one night, and I was, uh, I was feeling this energy, and I knew a, an abduction was about to take place. I and I could feel that the the entity was coming. I was sensitive to that. And describe that a little bit because this is fascinating to me. Okay. Um, well, there's there's a quality in the atmosphere. Either the room gets completely electrified or it, it just seems to – I don't know what the word would be – phase shift. It, it seems to merge with another dimension or another realm or another uh, another space. <laughs> I don't have the words to describe it. Okay. Or, or my body would start to tingle or I, you know, I would get a telepathic link up to them. And all of these nuances come together, and that uh, that would tell me that an, an abduction was about to take place. So I, I was just really tired of it all. <laughs> and I think, I don't know how, but I knew Bashar was there at the, at the moment. I was feeling this, this peak anxiety again. Oh, God, not again. I felt Bashar enter in to this realm and it was like he cut off the gray but he cut off the gray from the hive mind and since i have this you know connection with bashar daryl and and the ets and you know a little bit of expanded awareness and and you know i have an ability to cross dimensions through meditation and through the experiences 
there was like a three-way conversation going on. It was, you know, like we're on Skype. If another person joined in, Bashar joined in, cut the gray off of his connection to the whole, to the hive mind. And then I felt myself falling into this abyss, and I knew I was experiencing what this little gray was experiencing being cut off from the whole and it was it was like death to this entity so um i've had many experiences like that that involve bashar hi there this is mike i'm chiming in during the editing process i thought about this during the the actual recording and i'm and i just need to articulate this now i thought this little segment where Kim talks about Bashar uh, interceding and this gray alien being thrust into the abyss and being separated from the hive mind. Uh, I thought that was so weird and so profound. So if um, if you take nothing away from this entire uh, two-hour interview, uh, just uh, this little piece, this little, this little bit here blew my mind. Back to the interview. So um, I've had many experiences like that that involve Bashar that give me proof that he is an entity in his own right that is my friend. That's fascinating. Now, I will say that I have heard similar stories to this um, from other folks that are channels. Uh, not quite the same, but similar. And, mm-hmm. and I just find it so interesting that um it just seems like there's a there's a oh uh, an expand you know if you just watched uh, late night tv documentaries about the ufo abduction experience i mean this this story you just told ain't, you know is never going to make it it's just too complicated <laughs> right. you know it's sure. just like the simple thing and they want the scary music and mm-hmm. and uh, and then to do some recreation footage and all that information is probably true on that half hour documentary but um but there's there's something going on there's an there's an added depth to this experience that I find um so uh, I you know I'm going to use the word seductive you know what I mean it's just like this mm-hmm. we're, we're I mean, like I'm being confronted with a mystery and mm-hmm. I want to get in there and like solve it well, I may never solve it properly but I definitely feel like the the pieces are much more complicated and and profoundly interesting than I would have guessed. Uh, before I started looking into this as well as my own experiences. There's a, there's a lot to it. And there's a lot of different types of experiences. And, you know, just doing this book with 150 different stories, I, um, I'm i not so arrogant about my knowledge anymore because I see there are a lot of people out there having contact everywhere on the planet. And they they know the same thing I know. They know more than I know. They know differently than I know. And I, you know, people ask me about the book, you know, how did you uh, decide which story was true and which story was false? And I said, I'm I'm not to judge. If somebody sends me a story and it was, you know, too long or too convoluted or too too complicated, that was uh, a reason to not put it in the book. But um, in 1995, my story was so outrageous that uh you know nobody believed me the ufo community didn't believe me i was ostracized from every every community and uh, and who's to say that anything in this book that i don't find believable might be just the next you know 
breakthrough. So um, I didn't judge people's stories, and, and I let them speak for themselves. And, you know, I can be accused of being naive, but I also, I believe everybody has the right to tell their story and not be, uh, you know, torn up for it. Yeah, it's interesting because um, the, the one person that I am the most critical, and I am fiercely critical, is, is uh, myself. That's the, the and then I'm much more open-minded when I talk to other people. And at the same time, I, I went when I initially went to my first couple of conferences and sat with people and and heard these you know stories and and I was uh, I felt like a deep need to like sit down with people and hear their stories. I was so like shook up and so judgmental at, at, at initially, and then there was a, a wonderful woman, um, and she's very private, but she she. You know, I had this conversation like, you know, what's going on? I'm so confused. And she like sat me down and she was pretty stern. And she said, this is just their stories. And and that was part of the thing that shocked me is my reaction, because my story is is equally as complicated and interesting. And um, mm-hmm. and it, it, it chilled me out a little bit. And maybe I'm being naive, but I have a feeling that um you know, I hear a hundred stories, let's say, and let's say a percentage of them, you know, and I don't really care whether that percentage is 50% or 2%. If those are confabulations or delusional or lies, I feel like when I step back and let all these stories wash over me mm-hmm. and, and not do it in a logical way, but do it from my heart, I feel like I I arrive at a picture and that picture is evolving and changing and such. So, but I, I feel like I arrive at, at something that's, that's, um, oh, you know, like a bigger truth. And uh, oh, I was going to say one more thing. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah. The cat, so the, the cat made a noise in the kitchen as I was saying this, and I was like, oh, what? You know, my so. dog barked at the same time. Oh, good. And my I have a, my kitten. I got a new kitten, and the kitten is in my lap right now. Oh. So, you know, when she starts biting my hand, well, I, we might. So yeah, these abilities, these these abilities that we have to have in common, or none of us could have them. Abilities like so, like like channeling, like uh, uh, remote viewing, like healing, like precognition. Um, I, I teleported once in one of my experiences. That's not that's a skill I would love to master. So but, so here I would love to hear that story in in. Mm-hmm. A- um, that wasn't a very pleasant story, so I'll, I'll make it really fast. Good, good. To see. I, I had a, a long and torturous abduction one night, and there was a doctor that was waiting for me at the end of the abduction in in this place, whether it was a craft or a, a hospital or an underground base. I'm not sure what it was, uh, but he was a humanoid being, looking being, but he was absolutely not human, and he knew me. We had this knowing uh, a relationship i didn't have the memories but he knew that i knew him and i it's it's very complicated but i had been through a grueling experience and i despise needles because i've had needles poked in my body for so many years you know in my experiences and he looked down and he had a he had a needle in his hand, and telepathically he said to me, "You know, I know you don't like needles." And he said, "But it's time for you to go home." And he said, "So, you, we can do it this way, or you can find you can find your own way home." 
And at that moment, I knew what he meant. I don't know how I knew it. I don't know how I knew to do it. I've never been able to do it since. But all of a sudden, my consciousness collapsed into a point of light. I was a ball of light. And the next thing I knew, all of my cells reassembled on my bed, and I was vibrating like, like a guitar string. We have these abilities. We don't know how to use them and until we're either forced to or we're nurtured to or we're, you know, coaxed to. Um, growing up in the Midwest, you didn't learn about channel. You couldn't find a channeling class. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, and I went to L.A., and a friend of mine brings home a, a New Age magazine and, and tore out this little piece of paper, this corner off the edge of the magazine, and it said channeling classes because he knew I, I was into channeling. And I said, you can't teach channeling. I got so angry. I said, that's something that you, you have as a gift. It's like you're a healer or a telepath. Um, it, it's a gift. You have it naturally. It's not something you can be taught. And he said, okay, well, just take this little piece of paper and put it in your drawer. And if, if you ever want to look at it, there it is. And every time I would pass that desk, I would get angry. Nobody, it, it, like you, like it's like you know, you you hear stories like you got angry, right? When you were hearing all these stories because they yeah, didn't and fit. Frustrated with it. And, and, yeah, anxious. Yes. Yeah. Anxious because it didn't fit in your paradigm. So even though I knew it was possible and I believed in it and I enjoyed the channel material I had read and all of that, I just couldn't grasp the concept that it could be taught. So. Oh, I don't know, weeks, months go on, and one day I just couldn't take it any longer. I pulled that piece of paper out of the drawer. I called the woman, and I yelled at her. I said, what is this? What is this? You going around telling people you can teach them how to channel. I said, you can't teach channeling. She said, my goodness, you sound a little, little aggravated. I said, I am. I just don't believe that you can teach somebody to do something that's a, a God-given gift. And she said, I'll tell you what. She goes, come to my meeting on Friday night. Just come in and sit down, and you spend an evening uh, in my group. And if if you want to get up in the middle and leave, fine. But just come and look. Come and come and experience what I do and what goes on. And I said, all right. <laughs> I hung up the phone. I'm still angry. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to prove this woman wrong. I'm going to go there and find a charlatan. So... I ended up uh, within 30 minutes being absolutely in love with her, with the entity she was channeling, uh, with the idea channeling could be taught. And I stayed with her. Her name's Sean Randall. I stayed with her for many, many years. It was uh, just like going to work out at the gym. Two or three nights a week, I had a class. And I ended up channeling with Bashar. I was his apprentice for a while. And it was magical. All of it was magical. But it's like anything. If you don't use it, you lose it. So I haven't done it in a long time. And I miss it. I miss that um, that vibration of attraction when you're in that kind of mind state where you're meditating and you're uh, in constant contact with higher energies. Life is seems to flow uh, easier, uh, more synchronicities. It seemed I was happier then, um, but I let the material world take over. You know, I got into wanting um, financial 
success or security and started spending all of my time there. And it turned out to be not what I was supposed to be doing. So I guess it was all taken away from me for a reason so that I would get back to my roots, which are are those things, the, the, the higher aspects of, of who we can become healers and communicators and uh, on and on. This is beautiful. This is so good. I think yeah. the channeling thing now. Oh. So Anya, and I, I, don't know, I may edit this out, but Anya has like told me in no uncertain terms that like, you know, Mike, you, well, she didn't tell me her source guides told me, you know, like, Mike, you are here to channel. And it is, she basically said, it is not by accident that you went through that phase where that's all you read was channeled books in, in the early part of, um, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. And, mm-hmm. um, so I'm not sure what to make of that, but it but it is very um, so. With the information you got out of the, your personal channeling, mm-hmm. um, now were you did you like leave the room and then all of a sudden you would just you would just channel away and then you would listen to a tape recording later and that and uh, and be surprised by what you said? Uh, it was all of the above. Uh, sometimes there there are different ways to channel. You can go completely unconscious and and share your physicality and your 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 mind and your what Sean would call or Torah would call the, your toolkit, the information that you have in your brain for using you know words and concepts that that the entities can use to communicate, or you can just step aside and observe. So it's almost a dreamlike state, but you still know what's going on, and you can still hear what the entity is saying. Um, there's there's just many different levels to it, uh, and it, depending on the energy or the entity that is working with you, they all have they're all as individual as every one of us. So the way they work with you and your energy and your consciousness is in your body is different. I had signature body movements for almost every different entity that I, uh, that worked with me. Um, you know, you notice people when they go into trance or sometimes just naturally we, when someone's speaking in public, you'll see them put their hands together so that all their fingers are touching Oh my and, gosh! I was just gonna, I was about to say that like when Leo Sprinkle channels, and I've been in the room with him when he's done it. Um, his, uh, you know, he does that. He like he makes the, um, you know, what's the term like the, the one spider on the mirror. Yes, pose. yes, and that happened to me naturally the first time I went into trance. So there, there's definitely something to it. These there's a physicalness to channeling. There are the way uh, we run energy through our bodies and the way it's expressed. So uh, yeah. Huh. Oh, good. This is. I'm glad we delved into this, like as as in, as in depth as we did, because I, this is something that gets so ignored. And mm-hmm. and um, and uh, you know, just uh, a little aside, when I was in one of these earlier classes, I sat down in a chair, and Sean always had the room impeccable. The energy was clean, sage. There were crystals around. Beautiful music. Uh, it was a safe beautiful place to be and we would get there early some of the girls just to chat before we went into our channeling uh class and i was sitting there talking to a girlfriend and i reached out and i had never touched a crystal before and there was a little crystal sitting on the table side and when i picked it up i felt in my right hand completely open up and all of this 
energy started flowing into my hand and up my arm and into my body, and it shocked me. And Sean was in the room, and I said, Sean, <laughs> something's happening. And she said, yeah. She said, you're just you're sensitive to crystals, and you just activated your, your, the chakra in your hand. And then after that, I was able to heal people. So uh, all of this, most of this came as a surprise to me. And wonderful surprises. And I hope that there's some more of those wonderful surprises still in store for me in this life. Well, or just for getting... all of us, yeah, well, yes. however it plays out. Um, okay, I want to get, so so the channeling started uh, roughly in the late 80s, early 90s. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, um, you had been having ongoing contact experiences. And the... Um, my cat is on my lap playing with the cord. Come on, kitty, down you go. She's like all wrapped up in the cord on the headset. Down you go. <laughs> That's okay. Oh. I love animal lovers. Yeah, no, and she's she's very sweet, but um, the, you know, she's that has that kitten energy that just like those you just can't play with her enough. But right. um, where was I? Uh, so there, there at a certain point, you through you know the work with um Daryl Anka, you've managed to bring an end to the abduction experiences. And the, your abduction experiences sounded pretty hard and dark. They were hard and dark. Yeah. And there were some that were completely amazing and enlightening and loving and wonderful. Not as many as there were dark, that's for sure. But we can't look at this alien experience with a human understanding it, you know, it just doesn't follow suit. We think it's got to be either good or bad, or there's got to be a reason for the good, or there's got to be a reason for the bad, and they all have to relate. And this is an this is an an alien experience, whatever alien means, other experience. So, as painful as my abductions were, I got a lot out of them. I would never want to go through it again. I learned how to make them stop and yet i'm glad i know what i know i'm glad i've had the the lessons i've had i'm glad i have the abilities i have even though i don't utilize them as i believe i should anymore <laughs> i feel guilty you know if you have a gift you're supposed to use it right well, but all of those um, ebb and flow in life and things you know come and go so yeah don't don't you know. sure so um too harsh please on, on something like that so yeah, but, but I did, so I I learned how to make them stop just with my intention. And, and did the did the the beneficial psychic experiences continue? Did you still have healing skills? Oh sure, oh to this day, I I don't practice it. There was there was a time when I really tried to de- to develop all of my skills, which I did, and I utilized them for a long time. But I was more mesmerized with art and photography. And like I said, there's only so many hours in the day. So that's where I wanted to spend my time in life. I wanted to express myself as an artist, not as a healer, not as a channel, even though I'm, I love those aspects of being human or being a touched human. Um, so, yeah, there's, they're still there. It's like riding a bike. I'm sure I, if I went started meditating again it would all come back and be just as powerful as it was before i've tried it a few times but i get distracted by life because it isn't my center of focus so yeah yeah and we're we're these these uh and i think that's one of the interesting things about this phenomena is that it uh 
it's so alien. The, the way I've always thought about it is, you know how, like, in the Peter Cottontail books or the Peter Rabbit books, like the little rabbit, like, lives in a home and it wears, like, a little vest and has a little tie and sits at the table and drinks tea? You know what I mean? In those, mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll hear stories where researchers will talk about this alien phenomena and they will put so many human attributes to it, it sounds like the child saying that, you know, like little rabbits wear, wear jackets and, and drink tea out of little teacups mm-hmm. and, uh, with a little tablecloth in their little rabbit hole. And, and, and they make that leap somewhere. And my thought is like, this is, you know, whatever's going on, it is alien in, in a very profound sense. And it is a, it's a, it's a mistake to anthropomorphize and pretend like um, it's partially human. Yes, absolutely. But we have what we have to work with, and that's our our limited concepts and our limited language. And a lot of the researchers haven't been there. So um, it's it's difficult for them to try to understand and share the information in a truthful manner because they haven't experienced it themselves. And the ones that have, God bless them. Like Leo. Like Leo, uh, boy, don't we need a few more of Leos around? Um, and and he's eloquent and loving and intelligent and compassionate and, and concerned for the planet and concerned for his fellow man. And those are the attributes that, um, along with channeling <laughs> and hands-on healing, that seem to be enhanced with contact. Most of my friends are just wonderful, loving, amazing, conscious human beings, and most of them have had contact. So, your personal uh, friends, my personal friends, yes. So, so your circle of friends, you, you know, um, they all channel. They've all had contact. This is, is so interesting. Now, I've listened to a bunch of your um, audio interviews, and, and and I apologize, I have not read the entirety of. Um, beyond my wildest dream um, sure. and I would not have known that um, that's a very interesting mm-hmm. well you know like seeks like and that's what I was saying earlier I missed that that life that I was living when I was studying channeling you know all the time and I was around people who were very conscious and on a regular basis um, you know I'm back in the midwest now and I'm a fish out of water here um hopefully i'll get back to the coast soon enough but uh i'm i'm just letting whatever these forces are that have compelled me to do this book i'm i'm let i'm letting them in a little bit more now you know what happens is if if you're opened up you you're opened up to everything i've had many ghost experiences i've had um oh i i don't know but when you're opened up, you're opened up to everything. So then you're a little hesitant to go into it sometimes because, uh, you know, one time I channeled um, a murder experience. I was camping in and uh, Ojai, California, and I was with a group and we were. Uh, I was in a tent and I started to go to sleep and all of a sudden I felt this uh, stabbing sensation in my chest and it was literally. I was physically living being stabbed. And, you know, I jumped up and, and out of the tent. And I thought, oh, my God, what was that? A lucid dream? That was horrible. That was, uh, what do I do? And so I stayed awake for a while and I went back to sleep. And 
this was actually a channeling outing. It was with my channeling group. And so I went back into the tent. Same thing happened again immediately. I started being feeling the stabbing sensation in my chest. So I ended up staying up all night. And then I went to Sean the next morning, and I, I told her what happened. And she said, well, you know, that, that was showing you that you have the ability to tap into these other realms. And you could be a channel who could, say, for instance, help a person find out, who's you know murdered their their friend i don't know what what the specific word for that kind of um skill would be but uh she said so you know you're open to all this this so when you're not practicing it regularly it's a little funny it's a little edgy to come back in and out of it because you know you're not practiced your um your boundaries or your your protective uh, I don't know, energies might be not be up to tune. So, you know, some other energy might come in that you would rather not have be there. So it's not something you, you can just, you know, pick it up one day and throw it away and, and do it the next. Uh, you really have to respect those kinds of abilities and keep them fine-tuned and use them, uh, like I said, use them with respect. So it's either black or white with me. I'm I'm either really into it <laughs> or I'm off being a photographer so and, and when I'm not doing one I'm missing the other so it's, it's difficult to find the balance in life sometimes and I oh, oh you have no idea I mean well I guess you do you know exactly and I mean I guess I'll, I'll say I have I have uh, similar experiences where where um you know the stuff churns in my head in such a way and then and then you have to go to like a party you know like oh and just kind of sit there and like talk about the weather um, yeah, and sometimes that's I found that's hard. Yeah, it is. And usually, when you go to a party, you have nothing in common with the people at the party because we're so different. Unless <laughs> well, it's a party it's like, in Sedona, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's a beautiful vortex if I've ever seen one, huh? Yeah, I have some funny. I have some funny, and I'm very hesitant of like the. You know, it's very interesting. New age, the new age thing. You know, like it's so. It's such an easy target. You know what I mean? That's to, mm-hmm. to like make fun of. Um, and some of it is true. You know, it can be caricatured in a way that's very funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, I went to a yoga class and there was two yoga instructors and one said, um, you know, if you do this pose, it makes your back feel really good. And then, you know, the other yoga instructor, you know, later on in the week would do the exact same pose and she would sort of say, um, and here's here I'm going to like, you know, paint the caricature that she's gonna say you can tap into your inner spiral and your chakra will Mm -hmm. align with your your deepest self Mm -hmm. and then you can have this you know enlightening experience and basically she's doing the exact same pose Mm -hmm. um the final outcome is in a way you walk out of the yoga studio and you say huh i feel pretty good sure yeah yeah well you know sedona i remember the first time i drove into sedona I went there because I'm a photographer, and I was so affected by the energy driving into that city that I felt like I was on speed. And I had a friend who had moved there. Actually, this is a great story. Um, He had uh, come from New York City to be a comedian in L.A., and we met, and we were in a channeling class together. He had never heard of alien abduction never didn't know anything about it he was so fascinated by my story we would sit up all night long you know night after night and i would tell him my stories and he, and one day he got up moved to sedona 
got a job in a restaurant. I think he was only working in the restaurant a short while, maybe a year, and then he decided to open his own restaurant. And he ended up opening a restaurant called the the Red Planet Diner that was a UFO-themed restaurant, and he made millions within a couple years. He had a beautiful ranch underneath one of those big red buttes, and you go into the uh, the front of the restaurant was a disc. It was a UFO, and then and it was it was floating in front of the restaurant and. It was a waterfall, and the waterfall was blue light coming out of the bottom of this disc. And you would go in, and all of the tables, it was a diner, and all of the tables had glass, you know, the glass tables with all the UFO pictures underneath. I mean, it was just this this alien theme, and it just really went over there. So you couldn't do that in Santa Monica where he lived. Or or Driggs, Idaho, where I live. Uh... (laughs) Right, because... You know, everything is energy. This we're all energy. The planet is energy, and it has it has the cliche term because words are so limited. Energy vortexes, and you can feel them if you're sensitive. You can feel where there's there are places on the planet that have more contact because there are vortexes. And I bought my land in Snowflake, Arizona, and this is just by coincidence. Once again, coincidence. Uh, and the night that I was there to purchase the land, I was there with my girlfriend, who was a contactee, abductee. Uh, we bought the land together. Uh, it just came together, synchronicity. And she said, we're going to buy this land, but we have to see it at night. And when I said, okay, fine. So we had the real estate agent take us out there in the middle of the night. And the, there were no roads yet because this was just you know newly uh, for sale land. And uh, so we're we're in the mud. The car breaks down. It's in the middle of the winter, and it's freezing. Luckily, his cell phone worked, and he called his son, but his son couldn't get there for like an hour or two. So we're sitting there, and while we're stuck in the mud, we had three sightings on on this land. And and I've never had three sightings in one night. I mean, that was. And what were you we, seeing? Uh, we saw a crap. You know, just. The, the lights in the sky that will just shoot across the sky, yet breathtaking speeds. We saw one that was uh, zigzagging back and forth, um, one that popped in, one that popped out. And I'm with this real estate agent, and the, this is a very conservative-looking man and very, very sweet gentleman. And I, I looked at him, I said, because, you know, uh, there can be a group of people, and uh, there will be a sighting, and only po- part of the people in the group will see Sure, the craft that shows up all the time, yeah. Right. So I grabbed uh, my girlfriend's hand. I said, are you seeing what I'm seeing? She said, yeah. And, and I turned on I looked at the real estate agent, <laughs> Doug. <laughs> God bless his soul. I said, sir, have you ever seen this before? And he said, um, yeah. I said, really? And I, because he lived there. He had 40 acres, and he was living off the grid and built his house there, and he had moved from Southern California. And I, and I said, so how many times have you seen this? And he said, oh, about a dozen. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> so we're sitting there for another half an hour. Another craft comes over, and I'm grabbing grabbing my girlfriend's hand. Are you seeing this? Yeah. Looked at the real estate agent. Are you seeing this? Yeah. How many times have you seen this one? Oh, about a dozen. Happened again, third time, oh, about a dozen. Then he goes on to tell us a story about how he got, he, he was in bed one night and walked over to the window, and there's a, a disc hovering at his window of his second story home. 
So, yeah, there there are places. Make fun of it. Sedona is a, a vortex. So what? It's the truth. The Southwest has uh, a lot of contact. You know, there's that there's ancient ancient energies there, and if you're sensitive, you can feel them. When you went to the the crop circle near you my said house you, here, uh huh. Did yep. you feel anything? Did you feel anything? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I, it's so funny because like I don't like I don't feel this. You know, like I don't I don't feel any special energy. And I've been with people who are who are just like, oh, the energy is so profound. And I'm like, oh, I don't feel it. But um, here's the here's where it gets interesting. So I live in this little town, and there's there's a, like a little yoga studio, and there's a small population of sort of groovy new age folks and mm-hmm. um and i remember sitting at the desk this would have been in 2002 and i have this something i call a nice thought and i've written about these and i've tried to define them and oh you know there's a normal chatter in your head where one thought leads to another and then you know you kind of think about that thought and you just kind of stray away and then it you know leads to another thought and um mm-hmm. When I say nice thought, it doesn't it doesn't follow that logic. It's just like poof, all of a sudden a thought pops in my head, and I recognize those as being important. Mm-hmm. So sitting at the house in the afternoon, and I have this thought like, we need a crop circle, we need a crop <laughs> circle in this town, and uh, you know, in basically it was this really pleasant you know kind of thing. It's like this is exactly we just like need to shake things up a little bit, and we need a crop circle. And the next day, I'm walking through town, and I bump into a f- friend named Linda. And she just, like, as casually as can be, says, oh, you heard about the crop circle that formed last night in, in the next town over, didn't you? And I'm like, what? You, and and said, you said, yes, I did. Uh, well, no, I didn't. And I didn't. <laughs> well, and I you did like, in your head. And uh, <laughs> so so I go to the, you know, I drive to the crop circle with a friend. Uh, this was a series of 16 circles um, in a very simple cross pattern where there's a series, you know, there's a big circle in the center and then some, some smaller circles. Uh, mm-hmm making a cross pattern. That's a, that's a good size crop circle. Yeah, it was pretty, you know, so we walked around in it and there was, and I met this researcher there and I talked to her for a little bit and um, here, I'll just let me preface this by saying um, I do comic illustrations, uh, cartoon illustrations. I could tell that by your blog, yes. Yeah. So, Be- beautiful. Yeah, and they're goofy and childish and, and I have a, a, a like a, a deep love of, you know, hand lettering and, and kind of classic comic books from the 1950s and such. So uh, I talked to this woman. Her name is Stace. She runs her own blog now. She has had a profound set of life experiences of her own. You know, she's talking about the research she's doing, and she's taking soil samples, and they're all bagged and noted, and they're in the back seat of the car, and uh, and she had a video camera and a series of cameras, and and um, and then you know we were talking, just you know, conversation flows, and then just completely out of the blue, she says, um, "Oh, I'm writing a, a book right now on on uh, UFO experiences." And we hadn't really talked about UFOs at all. We had been talking about, like, you know, how the crop had been laid down. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then kind of, you know, equally sort of out of the blue, she says, oh, and um, I know what the title is, but I, I want to have the cover of the book look like a classic comic book from the 1950s with hand lettering. <laughs> and But I can't find an illustrator. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. And my the friend that was with me started laughing so hard. <laughs> And I, you know, as dryly as I could, said, well, um, you don't have to look anymore. Uh, here's my business card. Uh, your search is over. Um, I'm the one person on earth who can do exactly that. So, um, so, so you know, so the, your, this all started where you said, do you feel energy at these sites? And I kind of don't. But um, yeah. I do have these very quirky synchronicities. And oftentimes the synchronicities are very playful and very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Synchronicity is great. I used to have it all the time, but I've become what Seth would call ego bound. I'm, I, I've gotten too into uh, earth stuff. And it's funny, I used to be just the opposite. I, I would have to do things to keep me grounded because I had so much energy running through me all the time. I couldn't sleep. You know, in my dream state, I'd be floating around and visiting places and getting messages and always never really getting into a deep sleep because uh, my consciousness was so active. So, you know, now I'm finding, okay, I, I could use a little more of that, that kind of energy again and feeling it. Um, but speaking of crop circles, my cat is trying to chew on the cord. We have synchronistic cat problems here. Go away, baby. And my cat is curled up in my lap here, and she's like, she's like, she's acting the kitten anyway. I have two, I have one adult cat and one very tiny kitten, and uh, yeah, the kitten is, um, is act, acting like a little angel right now, which is very rare. Here's a question. Okay, but can I finish oh, sure, my, my little ahead. crop circle story? Yep. Please do. Yeah, I have a, a very tiny crop circle story. I didn't, you know, I haven't heard of very many in the United States. Have you? Uh, they do show up. They are rare. They are mm-hmm. not rare. Uh, like there's a circle within, I don't know what it is, like 40 miles of Stonehenge in sure. England. And uh, that's absurd amount to show up seasonally. Um, though they do show up occasionally in North American Canada and all over the world, but not mm-hmm. to the intensity that, that they show up there. Sure. Um, I, a good friend of mine, Suzanne Taylor, did a documentary. Oh, I know Suzanne. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What on Earth? And I've on seen, the cross. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. that video. And that's a great video. And um, I have a couple stories in my new book, The Art of Close Encounters, from England about crop circles that are absolutely fascinating beings that are seen in the crop circles and things that are found in the crop circles and uh, you know uh, some people that saw them being formed um, a you know, craft came over and it was two orange I wasn't going to tell the story but I'm telling it it was two orange orbs there were a group of uh, people that were camping out that night were there for a party for a while uh, these two orange orbs came over and 90% of the people immediately fell asleep, and it left uh, just a couple of people um, uh, conscious. Uh, these two orange orbs split into tetrahedral shapes. Beans floated out of these two tetrahedral shapes and projected a light onto the ground that was a grid. Um, I don't know if that was a pattern, but there was uh, a car came by, these tetrahedral shapes went back together really fast, um, became one orange sphere, and hid in the, they called it the hedgerow. I, we would call it bushes here, I suppose, hedgerow. And when the car had uh, gotten completely past where they were, the thing opened up again. It became these tetrahedral shapes, and it put this light on the ground. And the next uh, the, the next thing these people knew was that they, the entities were aware of them. And they were oh, really excited. Oh, just a second. I have to interrupt. Someone's knocking on the door. Come in. Is it Phil? Hold it here just a second. I'm going to, I'm just going to. Phil? No. Okay, I'm back. The, the, uh, my next door neighbor dropped off some, some, uh, he borrowed some ski gear this morning, so he's returning that now. Okay, you want to you want to hear a strange synchronicity? Sure. 
the minute you said stop, somebody's at the door, my roommate, Phil, walked in the door. <laughs> and I will also add that the gear was borrowed by my friend named Phil. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I did. It's, uh, I, I have, uh, I, so do you know Miriam Delicato? I do. She's in my book. So, so Miriam, she's actually the person who told me about your book, and that's how I contacted you. Uh, I interviewed Miriam, and the phone rang during the interview. Uh-huh. And and I basically like kind of like oh god you know like this is going to be something synchronistic and it was the voice of Marla Freeze. Are you familiar with her? She's a she's a psychic. No. Uh, within <laughs> we were she was like we had been trying to set up a, a an appointment or I had been sort of pestering her to do a psychic reading and and uh, both of us had conflicting schedules so it just took like a month of going back and forth until we finally had a reading and um, the. The, uh, I won't go into it now, but the reading, like the build-up to the reading, there was probably the singular most synchronistic experience of my life happened in in conjunction with Marla Fries and, and the day before that reading. So I won't go into it now, but um, um, oh, you can't leave me hanging. Uh, if the, okay, so part of this will be a question about. Uh, first, I have to ask you: Have you already? What's your relationship with owls? They're mysterious beings. Um, you know, uh, there used there was a thing called a screen memory. The term screen memory sure, a long actually, time yeah. ago, and, it's and the and, and the owl was the screen memory. So, I, I'm a little spooked by them. I think they're fascinating. Uh, okay, they're mysterious. I, I have seen so many owls. It is like absurd. I live in a place with a lot of owls. You know, I mm-hmm. live right near Grand Teton National Park. There's a lot of owls here, so it's so it's like not. You know, it's not surprising to see owls, but the number of right. owls that I see is absurd. <laughs> and I actually, at one point, um, um, sort of like, you know, sort of stomped my foot at the universe and said, like, listen, I'm not going to pay attention to the owls unless they cross my path. Like, you know, it's just seeing an owl off in the distance. That doesn't count. You know, like, oh, there's an owl in the tree over there. Is that, you know, like, that's that doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Like, that sure. owl has to, like, fly across this path and, like, pronounce itself. Um, and, and once I made that declaration, um, then I was plagued by owls uh, crossing my path and flying into the tree. <laughs> um, so well, kidding. see, you like, get what you ask yeah, for. Uh, but I, I had a tiny crop circle story. Oh, good. So, so the, the, um, so the tetrahedron, we, when I went to answer the, the door for my friend named Phil, or the gear that was being returned from Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the moment my roommate Phil walked in the door. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> oh, you were talking about the tetrahedral shapes that were going back and forth to orange orbs? and. Yeah, well, that was that's just one of the stories in the book. But I had my own personal experience with the crop circle. It was a, it was a very small crop circle. It was an... I can never pronounce this town correctly. It's either Lompoc or Lompoc. Lompoc, I believe. California. It's up the coast a little bit uh, north of Santa Barbara. And my girlfriend had heard about this, and she said, let's go see it. It was on a hillside, and it was a simple heart shape. So we had to park at the bottom of the hill, and we were walking towards the uh, crop circle, and about halfway there, at the same time, it hit both of us. Well, she's a contactee, so it made sense. But we felt an energy barrier that we went through, and it affected us in a way that we we just started laughing. And we felt 
I said I felt like I was 10 years old, that that light-hearted, happy energy of a child that I you know hadn't felt since I was 10 years old. And it was it was a heavenly experience and we just stayed in that energy i don't even know that we even went into the crop circle i think we were so mesmerized by that the quality of the atmosphere and our consciousness that we just hung there as long as we could and um and that was a long long time ago it was before i really knew anything about crop circles so um if you ever get a chance to get inside one, I'd say go for it. Oh, well, and I definitely spent a long time in that. I've got some beautiful pictures of me sitting there, and and and, yeah. uh, and it was so so the crop circle that I was in, um, which is called the Teton Crop Circle. I have a post on my blog about the Teton Crop Circle. Uh, you know, on one level, I just remember thinking like like I, it was almost too big to fit in my brain. It's like whether well, this is paranormal or not, I don't know. But what it was was a very pretty piece of art, mm-hmm. and um, and it was. So just imagine it was in wheat, and the wheats are tall, singular stalks. You know, they're little thin little stalks. And mm-hmm. uh, and there was these two circles side by side. So if you draw two circles in the wheat field, uh, what happens is where they they are about to touch, the you know, they just the, the little standing wheat just gets, gets – there's just fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer – and then it gets wider and wider again where they where the two crops this got down to one stalk of wheat wow and i was just like part of me was like you know wow. okay i'm just going to dismiss whether this is paranormal or not you know maybe some guys in, came out with boards and did it and 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 if they did come out with boards and do it like more power to them because they they did a beautiful job it was like very elegant and mm-hmm. um, and then i was with a friend of mine and both of us had the discussion like basically, you know, this it was a series of circles, and you know, I think we could, you know, I think I could fake this one, but what I would need to do is practice, right? You know, I would I would have to go to some farmer's field and say, let me like do thirty crop circles, and you plow them over the next day, because I got to figure this out and do them right. But but I don't think I haven't found any evidence locally anyway that anyone was out there practicing doing crop circles, you know. Um, yeah, so it was very, it was, that was just, you know, that was the thing that impressed me most. And then in the middle of the, of the main circle, as well as some of the other ones was a, um, I don't know how you'd call it. Like, you know, like you go to a Dairy Queen and they make like a frosty vanilla cone, you know, and mm-hmm. they, they, they kind the of, the swirl. kind of like has the little swirl, like at the top mm-hmm. there, that was consistent in each of the crop circles in the I've center. Seen that that mm-hmm. kind of like, whoop, 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 whoop. And I was like, well, how would you do that? You know, like it's like a little exclamation point in the middle of the circle. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's a little Dairy Queen, uh, uh, you know, happy snow cone thing. Okay, so here's a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, my cat is now walking all over the computer. Here, let me move her. So you have um, spoken at length about the the your um, whether it be missing pregnancies or uh, experiences with hybrid children. Mm-hmm. I have talked extensively about that. Well, and, and <laughs> that's I, so, basically what my book is about: is trying to convey that that's what the majority of my experiences uh, were, being part of the hybridization process. And uh, I definitely have hybrid children, and they have you know names, and they're somewhere out in the universe, and I don't know where they are, and I wish I could be with them, and it's. Uh, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, I am part of a 
reproductive lineage. So um, nothing I can do about it. I, I would love to see them again. I, I don't know how. I, I'm pretty – when I put my mind to something, I can usually figure out how to do it. But there's always that fear if I, if I open up Pandora's box, if I get back and – and contact with the greys in order to see my hybrid children, then I'm going to have to deal with the greys again. So I, I try to stay away from it. But as the years go on, I think they would have no use for me in that program anymore. And so I'm getting more and more tempted to maybe initiate contact again or open up to the possibility of it. I don't know how or when, but it's 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 starting to become – uh, a, a big part of my consciousness now. So, or maybe they're just going to show up somewhere. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, this is one of the things that that Richard Dolan and uh, of, uh, his co-author named Bryce Sable wrote a book called mm-hmm. After Disclosure. I had dinner with Bryce just a few weeks ago. Oh, good. And did you know uh-huh. him like through this set of experiences, or or did you know him through Hollywood, or uh, through through Hollywood, through connections? He um, seems we, like a really great guy. What a wonderful guy. Well, you know, I just I absolutely love Richard Dolan. I haven't met him personally, but we've become very good friends over the phone and, you know, Facebook. And um, he was so gracious when uh, he put out a national security state. Right. Mm-hmm. With the two books, the two volumes. Yeah. The third volume and- that's in the works. Mm-hmm. And I called him because I was considering self-publishing, and he called me back. I, I left a message. I said, I know you're a busy man, and I hate to bother you, but if you have any advice you can give me on self-publishing, I would really appreciate it. And he called back, and it was like, hi, what can I do for you? I said, uh, uh, I was shocked at just how gracious and, and warm he was. And I said, well, I, I just want to pick your brain a little bit. He goes, well, I'm right here. Here's my cell, personal cell number. It was just such a sweet man. So um, I uh, have this great relationship with him, although I haven't you know, got to give him a hug yet. And then his, um, his partner showed up at this dinner party uh, over the holidays. It was just a wonderful experience. So, so many projects these guys have going on, you know, movies and TV series and books. And and it's interesting because that book is very good, the After Disclosure book. And, and I interviewed Richard on this show and, and just, you know, I have the same experience. I've met him a handful of times over the years at conferences and I have mm-hmm. the same experience you do. Of he's, a, he's like, he's impressively even keeled, you know, in a sandbox full of, you know, sometimes screaming kids. Um, uh-huh. But the thing that's, you know, this is this is something like I was asking questions, you know, like he had, he had, you know, tried to look into what does it mean, you know, after disclosure, mm-hmm. and um, and in a way, disclosure, the way he defined it was, you know, the president stands in a podium and says, uh, oh yeah, just you know those um, things that people have been calling UFOs over the years, um, we have um, strong evidence to believe that those are in fact. Um, entities from an unknown origin, whether that be different place in a solar system or in a different place in our galaxy, or whether that's some sort of interdimensional beings. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and then, you know, my thought was like, well, wait a minute, like there's all these other things out there. And one of the things is, you know, what if these hybrid children are here to serve a purpose? These hybrid children, given the fact that that uh, they've been reported for two decades now are no longer children. They're, they're grown adults. And that's what right. if they show up and, well, that's, and are that's here it. to serve some purpose, some important purpose? Mm-hmm. Well, 
<laughs> I don't know where they are or what their purpose is, but it would make sense to me since almost every one of my abductions, I was told that we have to take care of the planet, that they're creating a race that is smart enough to not destroy its own planet, its own sustenance. So it would it, just logic, logical deduction would put them here to help raise our consciousness, to help teach us. Maybe they're the next generation, just like the Neanderthal and Homo sapien were here at the same time. Maybe they're the next generation of, of like human- an evolutionary stepping stone of some sort. Sure. And and I mean, we're we're completely speculating here. It's hard to know, but um, that that is something that um, you know, because I and and you are not the only person. This is what, since I've done this, and you probably have the very same set of experiences. Since I've started this online blog, I get a lot of emails. And and I'm very eager to talk to folks, and I have heard a lot of women tell stories. And I will also add, these stories are deeply emotional. And, mm-hmm. I, and I've caught myself being a little bit mm, callous and, and just treating these like, uh, you know, like the same, with the same, like, emotional sensitivity mm-hmm. that I would, you know, treat with the, the person who saw a little dot of light in the sky way off in the distance. And mm-hmm. I realized, like, ooh, that doesn't fly because this is, you know, a mother losing a child this is yeah it is it is it's having it's having your children taken from you and it is the most heart-wrenching thing that i've had to deal with in my life and i'm you can probably hear my my voice quivering now when i go to talk about it um they're hybrid children so all of a sudden that discounts them as children uh even though they don't look like the grays my hybrid children look 90 percent human you wouldn't they would they could fit here any day and what would be the difference as far as just the just the visual look my daughter april uh the one that i saw at the oldest age last she was about 13 she looked exactly like a clone of me when i was 13 except she was a little bit thinner and i was pretty thin so she was she was thin and she, and her skin was paler but as far as features her features she had my features not even enlarged eyes i mean my eyes are you know pretty big but um, as, as are mine yeah so it, it was it was my features and when i telepathically hooked up with her i i felt her brilliance i felt her emotions um her love her curiosity um just everything of the two races combined, uh, creating a, a beautiful upgrade, if that's what it is, I would think that, that we would be glad to have them here, um, as opposed to other people who think they're going to come and take over the world. Uh, you know, chances are we may never see them. Hopefully, we won't need to see them. Maybe they can go off and start a, a planet of their own that that's not already destroyed that they have to <laughs> recreate. Um but yeah, it's emotional. It's it's. Uh, I know many many women who have hybrid children. Uh, you know, a lot of them come to the channelings because that's about the only place they can get inform- information. So I've got to meet a lot of them. And, and, and what uh, type of information is being shared about these children? Um, uh, you know, little bits and pieces of information like. Oh, you know, I really can't remember. It's been so long. It's been 15 years since mm-hmm. I've been okay, to a sure. cha- channeling. Um, but they, w- they would just say, 
um, like thank you for the toys, the certain kind of toys, and the woman would remember, you know, having that toy disappear or something. Um, you know, they, I think the aliens steal some of the toys and, and take them to the kids so that when we're on, on board with them, they have something to play with. And I do remember something about the book Alice in Wonderland, uh, one of my children talking about that being their you know their favorite book this is mike chiming in during the editing process uh just something i've noticed as a pattern the book alice in wonderland shows up in the context of this weird paranormal stuff a lot uh just that simply the term down the rabbit hole comes directly from that uh and i will also add that um alice in wonderland along with the wizard of oz those books seem to be somehow connected to the mind control stories that have been shared with me directly. I don't quite understand it, don't know what it means, but I just thought I'd share that during the editing process here. I do remember something about the book Alice in Wonderland, uh, one of my children talking about that being their, you know, their favorite book. Just, you know, little bits of information, but um, all in all, when we talk about the emotionality of it, um, it's 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 unfortunate that because you have the word hybrid in front of child, that they're discounted as children, and that same bond isn't there. My mother really hurt me unintentionally one day. We were in the car, and we were having a little bit of an argument, oh, I think, over my little brother. And she said, oh, what do you know? You don't know anything. You've never had any children. And I just held it in. And it was it was very painful. Yeah, yeah. This is I mean, it's a very mysterious and and consistent part of the of the phenomena. Um, mm-hmm. And and whether this has been happening, to, you know, can we go back and you know uh, find someone's journal from three hundred years ago and they may share a story exactly similar to this? There is evidence that these stories have been around um, a long time. Forever. Uh, forever. And I it, believe it's yeah. forever. <laughs> And I just think of the Jesus story being uh, almost, I should be careful what I say here, but, uh, um, you know, the Jesus story, you know, he was, uh, Mary was uh, a virgin and she's in mm-hmm. her bed and then the bright light shines through the window and there's Archangel Michael and, and uh, I think that's who it was. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and the next thing you know, she's pregnant. The child has got uh, these magical powers. It's, it's um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the core of Western Religion. It is. You got it. And, you and, and it. It sounds just like uh, some of the stuff I've heard. Where uh, one of the things that I also hear a lot is that people with children, f- and and then I, and I haven't. I mean, like I haven't. Obviously, I haven't done any research. Like I haven't gone and visited these children. I haven't given them direct IQ tests. I haven't given them psychic tests. But right. the um, the, the, the anecdotes. Yeah, the anecdotal information is that you know these children have a heightened sense of intelligence and a heightened mm-hmm. sense of uh, psychic powers. Mm-hmm. They come in that way. Yeah. The indigos, the star children, the crystals. And and this is one of those things where I'm cautious to, you know, like I'm just going to jump back like, oh, I'm much more comfortable with a yoga teacher that says this is good for your back. <laughs> uh, you know, so. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, I've got, go ahead. Oh, no, but, but, the, but that said, you know, like I've been at the receiving end of a lot of people who sound very earnest and that's all I can go on um, sometimes. You know, these people sure sound like they're they're telling 
a story that's hard for them to tell because it's it's emotionally challenging and not because they're lying. And I have heard these stories over and over and over again about their daughter or son is extremely psychic or, or their daughter or son is extremely intelligent or extremely creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have several of these Indigo children as friends on Facebook, and I can't keep up with them in the conversations. Um, I'm blown away at their intelligence just chatting. And uh, I would I would love to seek them out and and meet them personally. Uh, maybe one day I'll get the chance to do that. But yeah, I know there there's a new generation and coming in, and I don't know if it has to do with DNA or they're just older spirits, or uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's and this is one of the things that Leo points out that that uh, you know he's been giving the same test to people or, or the same questionnaire to people who claim either direct contact or or close contact with this phenomena for now 50 years since 1961 wow um, and then in so basically he says you know you plot this stuff out and there's a few things that are very surprising and one of them is uh like a near 100 percent of a belief in reincarnation which is not the statistical norm in a in a in a in a you know a standard cross section of the population. Yeah, well, uh, reincarnation—that's an interesting one. Um, I believe in reincarnation. And I, I don't do think to, about. It. I, I don't... do to a degree, and it's you know, and I'm and this is the same thing where I'm so like you know okay. all over the map where I'm so so quick to say like well maybe sort of could be and you know like I I can see where it would work and and uh, so it's, sometimes yeah. it's hard to pin me down on, on deep beliefs. I've had personal experiences that have proven to me that it's it, it must be real, um, and you know that goes back to uh, a lot of the Seth material. And you know, Seth said that no thought is ever denied its potential for being. I love that line, and that all these uh, reincarnational dramas exist at once. And that was back in the '60s, and we're talking quantum physics here. And and how do we? Um, you know, look the way we look at time linearly is really not the way it is. All this must exist at the same time, or how can people predict the future? So it's a matter of, you know, Seth said that you can learn to uh, communicate with your other selves, your, he called them par- parallel uh, lives as opposed to reincarnational selves, I believe. And that, you know, he said that we can all learn to communicate with those different aspects of ourselves and benefit from the knowledge that each of these selves has gleaned by its individual experience. So, um, like I said, I've had personal experiences of, uh, you know, flashing into a, a past life, nothing profound i wasn't the queen of you know egypt or anything but um enough to let me know it was true and one of the most fascinating uh of those for me is i went to i always had female problems because of the grays they destroyed my reproductive system so i was constantly seeking healing i went to a healer in santa monica and she was a, a reiki healer and she put her hands over my body and she said, um, just allow any, just allow the energy to move through your body because, you know, what creates illness is blocked energy. And I said, okay, now I can't believe I'm going to say this on the air, but I wanted, I wanted to go to these places with you because, um, you know, God bless all the interview, interviewers I've been with. They have their, their, uh, 
place. Everybody's got their place. And and you've created a place for the, the other stuff to be shared. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, so I'm on this table, and she puts her hands over me. And all of a sudden, I felt my arms jerking and my legs jerking. My my right arm went out, and it it grabbed the table. And then my left arm grabbed the table. And I felt this mass on my back shifting. And all I can tell you was I was inside the body of a big cat, like a tiger or a lion. And I was running for my life. And as I, I could feel the power in my arms grabbing the dirt grabbing and shifting back and forth and feel i was feeling the fur the the muscle the skin on my back shift from one side to the other and i freaked out and i didn't know what to say i didn't and i was trying to control it and i couldn't control it and this healer said go ahead and let the energy move through your body and she said what are you experiencing i said you're not gonna believe this i said but i'm a cat and she goes go with it and so i did and it turned out i was being hunted by a tribe tribe of natives and they i knew they were going to kill me for my fur and it was breaking my heart so who knows could have been just a a fantasy out of this world fantasy it could be something else you know we always think of reincarnation as oh you have to be human oh well now maybe you can be human or you can be et or maybe you can be go through all the different levels of nature. Maybe your soul experiences everything. I don't know. But that was really stepping out for me. So. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Now I like. Um, so you started this. You. I can't know. I could. I could. Well, this is being recorded, obviously, and I could play it back and figure out exactly. Sure. So at one point you said um, you were started to tell a story, and then. You said, listen, uh, because it's you, I'm going to um, uh, go out on a limb here and tell this story. And did you yes. know beforehand you were going to tell the story? Like when? No, okay. I would have never I would have never have told the story. But for some reason, I think I think we're all being too protective of the truth of our reality. And we're never going to evolve if we can't tell the truth. So, you know, Beat me up, call me crazy, call me naive, um, but I've I've always been a you know one to step out and hurt myself. But I'd rather do that than 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 live the lie of not telling the truth. So we're just we're so much bigger than we give ourselves credit for. And we have so much more potential, and unless we talk about it and share it with each other, nobody's going to feel like it's okay to go there. And and if we can't talk about it, we can't go there. And if we can't go there, we can't evolve. So I just told you my lion story. <laughs> so your lion story. So I'm gonna let's. I'm gonna just. So uh, you were starting to talk about something, and I was sitting here. I'm sitting here with my very cute kitten on my lap, mm-hmm. and uh, it's nice and dark in the room. I have a single. It's gotten dark since we were talking, but you right. were sort of talking, and, and all of a sudden. Um, uh, whether it's like three minutes ago now, I was silent at this end, and you 
were getting ready to tell a story, and I didn't really know where it was going. All of a, I just you didn't know this, but I started crying, and I have no idea why. About three minutes ago, it was very my. It wasn't much, but it was like it was real. And yeah. uh, and then you told that story, and huh. then and that was right. You know, like basically, like I was like, what is what's going on? And I was literally thinking like I was having a reaction, like an emotional reaction to the cup of coffee I, I just drinking. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, well, this is like really strong coffee, but. Uh, when I when I was telling you that I was experiencing myself as as an animal in nature being hunted solely for its the value of its skin, um, and that animal that I was experiencing myself to be had a heart and a consciousness uh, just as powerful as mine, and knew telepathically, or, or I guess obviously. Um, or maybe it was telepathically that he was going to be killed just for his fur and or her fur i believe it was it felt male because of the power um but like i said i was that was me and i was heartbroken because i couldn't believe that they would kill me just for my fur and so you know i i'm i get emotional i'm emotional right now when i think back on that experience so you know you're just probably tapping into that heartbreak of knowing people do things like that. You know, I was a vegan for 25 years. I would wear leather. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. I know. So. In fact, I'm. I'm I, I. I try to be as groovy as I can be, but I still. I go to the store and buy cat food for my cats, and um, I have a leather belt. And but. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Oh, so fascinating. The uh, you know it's and this is this is me and this is the way I try to frame this stuff. Um, you know, like if I was back living in ancient Greece. And someone said they went up to Mount Olympus and met the gods and they would come back down and they would tell the story. You know, I don't know if I would go up and go up to Mount Olympus, whether it would just be an empty field up there. And then they would, you know, sort of come back down, like shrugging their shoulders, like, I don't know, there's nothing up here. You know, so there's this, there's this, to me, a gray area where people tell these stories and I don't know quite what to think. You know, the same way as like if I went back in a time machine did this person really go up to Mount Olympus and meet the gods? But mm-hmm. the the story of the person going to Mount Olympus and sharing the narrative of climbing the mountain, meeting the gods, coming back down and sharing their story is, uh, to me, completely enthralling. And in a way, I don't care if they if they met the gods or if it was some sort of, you know, if they got halfway up the mountain and fell into like a, a catatonic trance and just had this mystical experience beamed into their consciousness from mm-hmm. some outside force you know like I, in a way i don't care no. what happens is and i've tried to articulate this before is that the mythology is important and i think there's a piece of mythology or like the the lesson of the mythology is important for instance if i tried to use my logical side of my mind and analyze your story about being on the table and experiencing the consciousness of a lion and, um, you know, it would be like, I, I would feel like one of the, the, some scene out of Star Trek where the little robots, you know, the smoke comes out of their ears because they're <laughs> confronted with, so, so I just can't go there. But if I instead sort of like take a half a step back and say like, okay, the story, if I let the story, if I don't analyze it and just let it wash over me, I find that I can glean the important mythological lessons from it. Sure. Mm-hmm. That was a long Very- explanation for, for, you know. That's that's a good way to to couch it. Yes, very good. Hey, um, we've been going at it for an hour and forty five minutes. Okay. It, let's. I, I feel like we could. You know, at this point, what we have here is uh, is great. And, okay. Uh, and I'm very uh, like I've never done 
an interview that has just like spun into just you know such relaxed conversational style. So I'm going to be very cautious how I edit it, and I'm just going to allow it to be like that. Okay. Um, anything it's you a- want to share as far as a final thought? Here. Oh, just, yeah. I, I just want to thank you. Uh, there's, um, we tried to set up an interview. What for months? Months, sure. Yeah, that happens mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, and it didn't happen, and I think it was all in good timing, because I've done enough interviews now that I I think this was meant to be at this time. Um, like you said, it's so comfortable, and talking about things I normally would never talk about uh, has been great. I might kick myself as soon as I get off the phone. <laughs> No, and, and, uh, and just so you know, like people who make it to my blog are like, you know, they're the folks that are they're pretty open minded. If they've made it to my blog, they, you know, they didn't just it didn't happen by accident. So yeah, so it's been very very refreshing, and I love your style, and I wish you all the best because this is your feel. You found a a niche uh, and a need that needed to be filled. So um, thank you for doing that. Good. This has been fun. I will, um, as far as like plugging the books, what I can do very easily is just put uh, on the show notes is just a series of links um, okay. for people to order. But do you want to give a little, uh, just plug your recent book and how to order it and, and um, people who may be interested? Sure. Funny. I almost forgot about my book. Oh, there we go. Good for me. Good for me. <laughs> They're very good for you. Um, no, the name of the book is The Art of Close Encounters, and I'm self-publishing, and the only place you can get it is at my website, and that, to make it easy for people, <clears throat> excuse me, I just added .com, theartofcloseencounters.com, and it is a fine art coffee table book, 350 pages of 150 individual accounts of contact and um it's beautiful it's really it's stunning i worked really hard to get black pages to frame the art and the stories are absolutely compelling um it's a steal (laughs) just you know it'd be three times that at, at a bookstore so um if you i what i wanted to do with the book was i wanted to create a book you could hand to anyone and say, this is the general synopsis of what's occurring on this planet to everyday people every day. And I think I've done, I I think I accomplished my goal. So for someone who doesn't know anything about it, this will give them a great foundation. For somebody who's had contact, they're going to love the camaraderie of all the stories in the book. So, um, that's it. That's my little pitch for the art of close encounters. Good, good. And, and there'll yeah. be a link in the show notes and I will also add, and this is just shameless ego on my part. Um, I think it's like one page one thirty four and one thirty five. Uh, is this something that I sent you? Oh about my goodness. It's been a long time. What page? I think it's like 134, 135. I looked it up. You sent me a PDF of the thing where you could turn the little pages and mm-hmm. it's in the one thirties. And it's a, it's a black right. and white illustration, which is on my blog. And, and, and pretty much what I did is just cut and paste and sent you um, the narrative that I had written up as a, as a blog posting. Oh, and, okay, great. And um, Yes, your story's in the book and your art is in the book, and it's phenomenal. And, uh, and I will say, actually, you know, I don't think I've ever talked much about this illustration online or on this in the audio format. I did write about what it was, what, what it was like to draw that. Um, I had that experience uh mm-hmm. in 19 
90, the winter of 92, 93. It was probably February of 93. And, um, uh, wow, that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. So I would have been yeah. 31 years old, I think, or 30 years old. And then uh, at some point shortly thereafter, did a little sketch. And just mm-hmm. kind of, the sketch kind of freaked me out because I completely dismissed this as a dream. It's like, no way, too yeah. weird, never happened. And I was just, I've been reading too many books. And But the emotional intensity of the creative process of me drawing that illustration, and you may may be able to understand this a little bit, I felt like I only had one chance to draw that illustration because I knew that after I drew it, my memory would then be the illustration. Does that make sense? Like Ab- I, I felt like yes, from, from, yes. from that day on, I mm-hmm. would no longer be able to remember the exact incident. What I would be remembering is that drawing. That so, is brilliant. That's a brilliant observation. And, you know, it's funny because I, you know, I wrote my book in 1995 um, and my mem- and I tried to put it all behind me. I tried to, to just go on and live a normal life. And then when I picked it up again... You know, recently, I guess, you know, in the last year I've picked it up a few times. Um, I look at the images and I do remember the images and I think, and then I try to uh, erase the image out of my mind and, and go back to the experience and it's difficult to do. So, yeah, once you've put it down on paper, it, that stays with you because we're visual, we're visual, we're visual. Yeah, that's like when do you, you know, if you have a grandfather that died, are you visualizing the photograph you have in an album, even mm-hmm. though the album's closed and on the shelf, or are you visualizing your grandfather? It gets right. very murky, and, and, and I agree that we are, we have a flawed memory bank in that sense is trying to, to figure that stuff out. So, yes, mm-hmm. so when I did go through the process, it was, in, in a strange way, that to me was a form of confirmation um, you know, people can make whatever they want of what I'm about to say, but the act of drawing that was so intense. It takes a lot of courage to put it down on paper. Because I quite honestly, even to this day, I mean, I could I could vacillate in him and Han, be my own worst critic and, and be um, very skeptical of this memory. Um, but the fact that the, you know, like I've, I draw all the time and it's, it's, you know, I never like have draw something and get like all worked up and emotional intense about it. Uh, sure. But that was a big deal, drawing the thing for me. Well, I'm glad you got it down on paper because it, it's stunning, and a lot of people, a lot of people are going to relate to this one. Yeah, and, so and, good. Yeah. Hey, well, th- well, thank you so much. And uh, and I have and and I we, it felt like within the first five minutes of our conversation, we like ticked off everything uh, on the list here. And uh, and I would love to anytime you want to come back on if something comes up. Thank you. I have a feeling we'll be in touch again. Good. <laughs> okay. Well, say hi to, um, to your cats and your dog. Okay. You can let the dog yeah. back in the house now. And, okay. Uh, and, and my cat's content waiting for me by the food bowl. And my cat is all curled up like uh, as cute as she can be in my lap. So, um, <laughs> well, great. Okay, great. Um, yeah, good. Just let me know when it's available. Okay. I'm very, I'm very interested to hear this one. Good. <laughs> okay, Mike, you you stay warm up there. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Wow, that went great. Uh, I feel like I could talk to Kim for a few more hours. Uh, There's a handful of questions that I had written down here. I totally lost track of. Never got to. Um, one of them was about Facebook. But um, 
I don't know. The thing that I'm left with, and and that I'm impressed with, is uh, just at the at the end there, where she was talking about just living her truth, and that means a lot to me. Uh, early on in this process, for me, I had to decide whether I was going to use my own name or not, in my own real name, and uh, I just I just felt that I couldn't tiptoe around these issues without just declaring. Uh, my own identity, my own name, and that meant a lot to me. At this point, I could go on and on and on and compliment her, but what I, I will say that I was rather, I was really close during the editing process to snipping out her compliments for me. Uh, they seemed a little too nice. I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I'm very eager to, or I'm very quick to. Uh, dismiss anyone who, who is uh, complimentary to me. But I left him in. It was it was very heartfelt on her part, and it meant a lot to me to hear it, so I left it in. I encourage you to dig through the show notes, check out the links, uh, get your hands on these books. She's a very interesting person, and I feel, um, yeah, it was, it was delightful on my end. I felt like I pushed her pretty hard in the sense that I was, um, uh, if anyone's from New York City, I was a nudge trying to get a hold of her, uh, I sent her a million emails and, and, and pestered her on Facebook, uh, trying to convince her to do this interview. And uh, I feel glad that I did. And I hope um, I hope you enjoyed the and, and got something out of the, this conversation. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. It's
I know it might be considered completely uncool to like the Beach Boys. Uh, I will chime in and say that I love the Beach Boys. And um, Kim lived the most Californian existence you could possibly have. She worked in the film industry, lived on the beach in Malibu, and worked on Baywatch. Bye now.